Hi, this is Joey Brandon. I'm the creator of the Axiom Podcast, and up until this point, I've been the only host. But today, you're going to hear a different voice. Devin Dash joins me. He's my colleague. We've been working together for about two years, and he brings a, a fresh perspective and an opportunity for you to hear a couple of us talking on the same topic. So I think you're going to enjoy Devin. I think you're going to enjoy the skill set he brings to our clients and uh, the integral part he's become of our team. And uh, enjoy. All right, welcome to what will be episode 30 of the Axiom Podcast. I'm here with my colleague, Devin Dash. So Devin, what are we going to be talking about today? Today, we are going to be talking about an approach to planning in 2020. Coming up on the end of uh, the year, and it's rapidly approaching. So a lot of businesses that we are working with are going into 2020 and wondering what's what's next and they're thinking about it now which is which is good but not every business does that not every business is thinking about 2020 so we're going to talk about some of the pitfalls uh, of planning and kind of our approach so for businesses getting ready like you said they're they're he- they're deep in the weeds just trying to finish the year we just came out of third quarter going into fourth quarter um here locally, we've got season starting with a lot of you know snowbirds coming in and retail businesses are ramping up and uh, everything to do with restaurants and hospitality and all that is getting ready to kick into high gear. And let's say you've got a business owner who says, I'm, yeah, I do, in the midst of all the craziness, I know we need to get a plan together for 2020. Uh, this seems like a good time of year to do it. And in, our, in this context, let's say that they're going to be doing it on their own. Essentially, like this, they read a book, or they they're in part of a CEO roundtable group, or and they've heard. I know, I know, I need to have a plan for 2020, and like we're hearing a lot of this language, right? Because it's it's 2020, like, and it's like this really cool year of like 2020 vision and 2020, uh, like a new a new vision for what's going to happen in my business, and. One of the things that we sometimes see uh, is what I'll call being overly ambitious in the in the planning process, and so we see this with some of our clients. But you brought up earlier an example that's kind of part of the the business pop culture landscape. And so, what was that when we were talking a little bit earlier? When we were talking about uh, where do we see this show up? Where this strategy seems like it's maybe a little bit too ambitious. Yeah, the first pitfall, which is really. Going into planning with something that is a little too broad, mm-hmm. um, too broad a view of planning, and I, the, men- the example that I mentioned earlier is, you know, in my opinion, Apple—they uh, are a, a very public company. Everybody knows them. I mean, half the world has an iPhone or, or some Apple device. Uh, and recently, in, in 2019, we just see that they've gone into uh, not just the iPhone or the iPod or the Apple Watch, but even now they've they've introduced a credit card. They've introduced uh, Apple Plus, the the TV subscription, and really you're wondering what direction are they going? Because now they have all of these. They have this broad landscape of products and services that they have to manage, and it does start to seem that they're just putting their logo on everything. Yeah. When you brought up, a, we were talking the other day about the you know the beef with the new. Apple AirPods Pro, and they're like 250 bucks. And you you mentioned to me like it's not just that; it's just that they just a couple months prior had introduced the latest upgrade to the old AirPods, and now those are essentially obsolete. And Tim Cook has come out and said, "Well, that, those are actually complementary. Like you you should have the old AirPods in your right pocket and the AirPods Pro in your left pocket because they have different applications and different feature sets." And it does seem. And when I read a story the other day too about. 
uh, Apple's gearing up to uh, have iPhone subscriptions. So you have a subscription plan for your latest iPhone. Yeah, essentially kind of what the cell phone uh, companies have, have been doing recently. But when you, when, uh, when you look at Apple's business, like, is that too broad? I mean, what is it about that that sticks, that, that sticks in your craw and says, uh, you know, that's, that's too far of a reach to be doing credit cards and to be doing um, that now they're looking at competing with uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime to develop their own proprietary TV content for Apple TV. Um, you know, wh- what should they be doing? Why is that too broad a reach? I think it's too broad a reach because they have, you know, a half a dozen other retail products that they are on pace to develop, you know, every few years or with the iPhone, they're coming out with a new version every year. Mm-hmm. And the... I think in, in terms of keeping customers happy, it, it becomes much harder for any retailer to, or any innovator or any technology company to be continually coming out with new products and, and new innovations. And when you are distracted because you have you know, a credit card service that you're providing for or an, a TV subscription that you are you know, giving to your, your customers, it does seem that there might be some distraction from their their bread and butter, really. They started with the iPod, and well, they actually started with the, the Macintosh, Mac, right? right? Like where the Apple II or the Apple IIc, and then the Macintosh, and then they got into the iPod, which led to the iPhone. Um, and and so one of the criticism that you hear right now is like, what about my MacBook Pro that hasn't seen a redesign in years and years and years? And it seems like they're kind of getting away from what brought them to the dance, maybe. But, you know, we have to be sensitive to that because some of that is just, you know, if that's the way we always think, maybe there won't be innovation. If they were always focused on the Macintosh, maybe we wouldn't have had the iPod and then the iPhone. So it's a, t- it's a tough distinction to make. But you and I see it uh, very vividly in some client relationships where we, we – start companies off or we come alongside companies who are maybe in the middle of a planning process. They know that they need to take a bigger bigger picture view and look farther down the road and kind of coalesce the team around you know, a few core ideas and, and goals. And we'll see them. Uh, you and I know that like part of our big encouragement going into a, a business that's doing this for the first time is, well, let's figure out the, the values, the vision, the why and the mission piece, right? And that's kind of the foundational core piece. And then we get into strategy development and we're like, you need one strategy, right? Not two strategies, not three strategies, but I've read books where it's like, you need to have essentially five or six strategies. Like you need an HR strategy and you need a a pricing strategy and you need a product strategy and you need a growth strategy and you need an IT strategy and you need a, and it's like how, how many possible strategies, you know, I think some of that semantics, maybe they're talking about, um, you know, different disciplines that you need to have in the business. But when you and I talk about strategy, we're talking about what is that one thing, that one area of focus that we're going to bring the, the entire leadership team's energy and concentration and time and talents to bear on for maybe the next one or two or three years. You know, it's a, it's a pretty big nut that we're trying to crack. And we often see it diluted when a company just chooses two strategies, Heaven forbid, three strategies or four strategies, and they, and and part of this is because um, they can't say no to a good idea, right? Like we've got two great ideas on the table, and they can't bring themselves to throw one out and just focus on one strategy. Or uh, we've also seen it happen where 
in a, in a, in a culture, leadership team culture that's very non-confrontational, uh, where we feel like, well, if we, if we don't pursue that strategy that John brought up, then John's going to get his feelings hurt and we really need to pursue it. Or maybe John's got the best strategy, but Sue, who owns the company, like hers is the second best and nobody's going to tell Sue, well, yours is the second best idea. <laughs> like we really need to go with John's idea because there's only room for one. So like, how do you manage that when you're, when you're in, a, in a team environment and you're trying to put the best ideas on the table and you're trying to create an, an environment where there's the, some healthy debate, how do you get to one strategy? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, really it comes down to uh, looking at the overall, like you mentioned it already, which is vision. You know, where does the company want to be in 10 to 15 years? And and really getting, you know, laser focused on what, which strategy is going to better point, get us there. Um, and, and, you know, in that sense, you, you really should say, well, which strategy is more measurable? Which, which strategy right now do we have our core, you know, do our core competencies lend itself to? So you really start to get measurable and, okay, how are we going to be able to track or what, what are we better suited to track and make sure that we're able to accomplish this strategy? Well, you go back to vision, you know, and it's funny how often you and I uh, met with a brand new client a few days ago. And we we're at the end of this four to six week time frame where we've done a what we call a strategic assessment. We've done this deep dive into the client's operations, and we're coming back to them with the key priorities that need to be addressed in different areas of you know kind of five key areas of the business, from culture to leadership to operations to marketing to finance. And we it was probably, you know, of the three and a half hours we spent with the business owner. We probably spent two and a half hours of that time talking about how vision impacted the priorities that we were bringing up. You know, so it's like, well, again, and we I, at some point I kind of felt bad because it's like, well, once again, we're going back to vision. Like we don't have a vision for this business and that's affecting marketing. That's affecting our leadership team. That's affecting uh, in some sense it's going to affect our profitability because we're, gonna, we're not spending time uh, on the most profitable um, areas of service for the business. So, you know, it's, we don't want to become the one trick pony that's always like, well, it's all, it all revolves around vision. But there's a very real sense where if you haven't gotten clear about the vision for the business, which is simply, let's, be, let's go back and say, well, what is the vision for the business, right? So what do we tell business owners vision is? How do we define it? You know, and it's just that describe where you want to be 10, 20, 30 years from now. Like you, you pick the horizon, right? Does it have to be a particular horizon? Does it have to be... 10-year vision or 20-year vision. I mean, it really doesn't. Yeah, I think, I think too, when you get into the longer visions, you could ask the other question is, what work do you want to start now that somebody else might accomplish? That's a great question. I love that question. You know, and then the other side of it is maybe the business owner is looking to exit in five to 10 years, and he, that's a totally different right. vision, but it's very clear what's going to happen. And so your strategies are, are directly related to that because if they're wanting to exit in five to 10 years or they're wanting to sell, let's just say, you're going to have to really say, all right, what strategy should we approach that is going to help this business to be saleable in that five to 10 years? Or if it's, what what are we going to start now that somebody else is going to accomplish? It gives a whole lot broader you know, range of where you can go as far as strategies to grow the business. Um, yeah, so 
when uh, when we talk about vision, uh, you know, we'll spend a little bit of time on that because it is important. It, and I guess the uh, the first point is the time frame has to make sense for whatever your your role is. If you're if you're you know late twenties, early thirties, and you're starting this business, you know that could be a 30, 40 year vision. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in your sixties, it could also be a 30, 40 year vision that you plan to hand off to your successor, whether that's somebody, you know, we see this, a lot of our businesses are family, second, third generation businesses. And, um, you know, they, it could be that they've developed a vision that's going to be multi-generational. Well, you know, what's so funny about that is I love trivial facts and I can't remember where I heard this one from, but in, in certain Asian cultures, uh, Japanese and Chinese cultures and, and business owners and business leaders plan 100, 200 year vision plans. And they're, so they're not even thinking about their generation. Right. They're thinking about what they're going to hand down to their kids and their kids' kids. And it's a totally different cultural perspective. Absolutely, than we have here in this entrepreneurial, capitalistic, get to IPO and hit the beach. You know, with my <laughs> six-figure, seven-figure, eight-figure check. Um, so let's. So the time frame. You know, if you don't have a vision, and it and it doesn't have a time frame attached to it, it's going to be very hard to to hone in on what the one strategy should be that you should bring your leadership team to bear on over the next few years. Uh, and the other thing that we like to advocate a lot is just the number and the vision statement, you know, and, and I think uh, th- that isn't talked about a lot, you know, and it's, um, we hear a lot of vision statements that are airy fairy and that they really don't do a very good job at conveying in the mind of the listener, the exact picture that is in the mind of the speaker. And that's what we're after with a vision statement. It's a communicative tool to, to express to you where we, where the two of us are going or where this entire company is going or where, you know, where you will be going if I'm successfully able to recruit you into my company or what your, what our customer account is going to look like uh, if you come alongside us as a vendor and I become your customer and I'm sharing my vision with you. And so if we can, if we can put somehow put numbers into the vision, then numbers, most of the time, they mean the same thing to you as they mean to me. You know, if I say I want to be better at this, well, that can mean one thing. If I say I want to be best at this, maybe that's a little bit different. But if I say I want to be number one in our region in sales in this industry, or I want to be top 100 in the country in our industry, or I want to be, uh, I want my market share to go from 5% locally to 25% locally. That's that 25% market share just means 25% market share. Right. right. You may have to understand a little bit about the market to get a clear picture of that. But at the end of the day, it's a lot more descriptive than I want us to increase our market share, or I want us to be a market share leader in the area. So, you know, so when we talk about vision, it needs to uh, just be able to, it, there are really no set ground rules for vision other than when you share your vision with me, the more vivid the picture is painted in my mind, the better your vision statement, I guess, in essence. Yeah, I mean, really, that that's well said. All right, so we, we have a couple of, of cases uh, that we can think of in recent memory where this idea of being too broad has come in and it just kind of derailed the, I wouldn't say it's derailed the leadership team. It's more of dilutive effect. So if somebody comes in and says, there's four or five things we want to focus on over the next year. Um, and, and we go, well, your strategies really should be things that are going to take more than a year. I mean, the, the goals that we set are going to be tied to the strategies. And those are almost always going to be bounded within the 
the term time frame of a year. But in the sense of a strategy, it really should be something that we can we can envision ourselves working on this for two to three years before we really run it home. And they go, oh, well, you know, these five things that we're thinking, a couple of these are going to take more than a year. So those are legit strategies. And we go, well, but there's still this issue of we've got, you know, I mean, how, how big are the leadership teams that we typically work with? Right? Yeah, I mean, anywhere from five to ten yeah, on right. a team. So, so let's say we're, we're in this area of like we'll split the difference. Say we got seven people. we got the owner plus six other people in the room. And that involves a sales manager, that involves a service manager, that involves an operations manager, that involves a finance person, um, you know, a couple others thrown in there. And we got seven people. We're like, okay, team, we got five priorities, right? So, or we got five strategies we're going to pursue. And so the question is, well, are the seven people going to divvy up the five strategies and one person's going to pursue each strategy and two people are going to kick in? You know, or two people are going to make sure that the rest of the business is running while these other managers go off and work on strategy, or are all seven people going to commit a fifth of their "quote unquote" strategic time each week to working on? Like, how do you make that work? And it's it seems to it seems to you and I because we've seen it fail so often, mm-hmm. such a pragmatic question. But a lot of times, business owners again, maybe going back to that thing of they just can't let go of the four other great ideas on the table to focus on one. Uh, we see it happen over and over and over again, you know, it's, it's, and it gets you know it gets frustrating for you and I. But how do you convince an owner that they should j- just spend their time on one thing? Yeah, it's really just a matter of working with them and and just convincing them one time that approaching one, maybe two, sometimes two, sometimes two. You know, we one do or let two them strategy. off the hook every once in a while and give them two. Yeah. But again, it depends on the leadership team. And I think you're getting to something that is key is if you have five strategies and you have seven people on your leadership team, you, each of those strategies is going to require input and time and attention and thought from each of those it core should. leaders. It really it should. should, yeah. And if you have, if they're all going five different directions at one point in time, they're not going to do any one thing well. You know, it's kind of that old saying, you know, uh, Jack of all trades, but a master of none. And it's that's what happens when you start to face five different strategies is you might get one done and you might do the four, uh, four others very poorly. Yeah. Well, and that's maybe that's the thing to, that you, the, the question you ask the team or the business owner, it's usually the business owner who's responsible for not being able to pare this down to one. They're, they are convincing themselves that we can do all of these ideas. And well, and, and to their, you know, to compliment them, that's oftentimes because the business owner is the entrepreneurial spirit right. who, who, who does have some great ideas and right. does have, you know, and some you and foresight. I, you and I look around the table and we see the fear and trepidation around the table of all the people going, there's no freaking way <laughs> we're going to be able to pursue all five of these things. And the, the owner is like charging ahead. We can conquer this hill and that one and that one and that one. And we have to stand back and say, um, our experience has shown, you know, time and time and time and time and time again, uh, we've never had a company successfully pursue three or four or five strategies at a time. Mm-hmm. Right? So the odds are, are highly against you. But if we could take one of these things and if we could virtually guarantee that if we limit it to one, we're going to accomplish this thing, we're going to be highly successful in this strategic area that we're going to limit our focus to, would that be enough? Like, would it have been a successful two years or a successful three years if we were able to to tackle this? 
And one of the things that might be missing is that more realistic perspective of just taking a step back and saying, hey, if this is all we accomplished over the next two years, if, if we were only able to accomplish one of these, but we got to the end of that road and looked back, would we be happy with the progress? And I, and I think most businesses would, but it's very difficult to disconnect yourself from the ambition of trying to do all of those things at once. Yeah, I think it's, you know, certainly, I don't know how much this plays into it, but it could just be the idea too that if you are not constantly innovating, you're not constantly doing something, the cultural mindset is that you are going to fade into obscurity or irrelevance. Mm -hmm. And convincing business owners that doing one strategy really well is going to do far more from your business, for your business, for your employees, for your culture, than five mediocrely executed strategies. Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic, and we just want to take a moment to, to break in our episode. And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you, you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com or you can visit our website axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening. And now back to the episode. And I, th I think, too, with groups that haven't had a lot of experience doing strategic planning and then the hard work of execution, they may be failing to appreciate just how, more, how much work it is and just how deep it goes to really pursue that one strategy. Like, there's go trust me, there's going to be enough work here for everybody. None of you are going to sit back in June twiddling your thumbs and go, man, I wish we would have selected more strategic <laughs> things to go after. Uh, but but again, that's that's just an experience um, of not understanding how big a task it is to really to identify number one identify a strategy that can take us two to three years to pursue. That's a that's a that takes some thought. It it can take us a day with the leadership team to figure that out. And there's lots of healthy debate and there's lots of brainstorming and we may do SWOT analysis or gap analysis or any of those other things to try to identify what is the strategy that really deserves and merits our attention for two to three years. Uh, but when we find it, there are so many projects, there are so many priorities, there are so many areas of the business that need to be changed and updated and improved in order for that strategy to be successful. And that's that's something you won't experience until you go through it. Hmm. Yeah, well said. So let's talk about the opposite end of that spectrum, which is not not putting too many strategies on the table, but actually putting something on the table that's that's too narrow. It's, it may not even be a strategy at all. Uh, where it's just like, a, you know, we, we use these terms of vision as this really big picture. And then strategy breaks down a piece of that big picture into a two to three year area of focus. And then we have objectives, which, you know, another, another word for goals that are going to take us about a year. And then we have priorities, which is our areas of focus for the next 90 days, right? And so sometimes we get into situations where the strategy that the team is pursuing isn't a strategy, it may not even be a goal, it might just be a priority. And they may actually get to like March or April and be like, oh, we got that done. Yeah, I think that that 
starts to lead us into the really the second pitfall of planning, which is we we take an approach to planning that's a little too narrow. And it's when we take something that we think is a strategy, but it's actually a tactic. Right. I think that's what you said when right, we, right, we were right. talking about this before is, you know, you might have this this strategy where over the next two to three years, we want to really become engaged with the public. We want to not just engage with our customers, but we want to engage with prospects and even, you know, vendors in ways that are going to educate the market on who we are, what we do, and even just contribute to the market and give back, whether it be through public speaking events where you're sharing knowledge. But let's just say a tactic of public engagement, lunch and learns. Right. Right. If you have a lunch and learn, you say, okay, we're going to really focus on, you know, the next year, getting our lunch and learn calendar up and running. Well, you could do 12 lunch and learns in a month or in a year. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's a really short-sighted view of all the ways that you could engage with your audience. You could do public speaking events. You can, you could do workshops or, or seminars where you're talking about a key business topic, you know, in terms of us. But really not taking a tactic, lunch and learns, and making it a strategy, which in this case would be public engagement. Public engagement, right. And so you're speaking, you're speaking specifically about our bread and butter. Like this is Axiom's is Axiom's playbook. And we're thinking about where where do we need to be spending our time and attention as a as a team and concerted area of focus over the next couple of years. And it comes down to public engagement. But what we had identified first off was well we want to do lunch and learns. And there's a temptation to go, okay, our strategy is lunch and learns. And we miss the broader sphere of public engagement and all the other things that we could be doing. So then one of the dangers of, of t- making a tactic, a strategy is that you don't really get, you don't challenge the team to come up with the best ideas for execution and implementation. And that's one of the things that uh, going back to vision again, like vision, it's one of those things where we try to segregate the owner and say, what's your vision for this company as the leader? And it really, it, it, vision for us isn't something that we feel can be legislated by committee. It really has to come from the owner. In some sense, the owner's heart and soul. But, you know, it's, what is it that drives them? What is their aspiration? What was their their dream when they decided to start the company in the first place? And that's what we're talking about, the vision. But when we get to strategy, is a totally different animal. Like the worst, one of the worst things that we could do in the world is lock the business owner in a closet and say, come up with a strategy. Because they're not going to come up with the best ideas, right? So... When we're trying to leverage the the thinking of the team, we also run into the same pitfall if we zero them in on a tactic and we're like, well, let's think of all the great ways we could do lunch and learns, right? And we we lose all the great thinking that could come to the table around public engagement, which could be, you know, maybe it's not lunch and learns, maybe it's workshops, maybe it's engaging with other businesses that that are doing something cool in the community that that we can be a part of. Maybe it's working with chambers of commerce or business groups mm-hmm. or industry groups that uh, that need our particular area of expertise. And that's all public engagement, but it's it's not lunch and learns, right? Yeah, yeah. It's really you might have one person who's very experienced and you know knowing exactly how lunch and learn should right. happen. The person who did them last becomes the expert in the room. Right. And nobody can question or, or add to the knowledge base. Yeah, you know, and, and I think what, what I hear you, you touching on there is when you limit 
the focus on one thing, that it's a, it's a tactic in terms of a strategy that's a little too small, you lose the engagement of the other people in the room. And that is a scary place to be, especially when we know today information, it, you know, it's a cliche for a reason. Information really is power. And if you can have five people around the room focusing in on a strategy that's broader than, you know, a tactic or, you know. Yeah, right. They, then you're going to get the best thinking from your team. Yeah. Well, when we, when we talk about developing strategy, um, like how do we recognize when we're getting into that land of tactics? Because a lot of times when we're working with teams and we do something like a SWOT analysis, it's very easy to get into here are the things that are wrong in the business operation that need to be changed. And think specifically about strengths and weaknesses, which, you know, traditional SWOT analysis, which we should say SWOT analysis in and of itself, pretty much useless, right? It's an intellectual exercise. But SWOT analysis in the context of trying to develop strategy can be very helpful. Uh, so in the sense of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, traditionally we think of strengths and weaknesses as being the things that are inside our four walls, the things that we kind of control. But then opportunities and threats may be things that lie outside our four walls and the environmental factors that we're either going to have to leverage and take advantage of or protect ourselves from to keep from getting dinged. So when you're talking about strengths and weaknesses, uh, we come up against all kinds of like very tangible, very concrete things that are wrong with the business. You know, like one of our weaknesses is our fleet is aging. We have an aging fleet and it doesn't reflect good on the business. Our trucks are beat up and we have higher maintenance costs. And their perception is that we're a lower market player because our fleet kind of reflects that. Right. And so, so you could say, Oh, our strategy should be upgrading our fleet. But you and I would look at that and go, that kind of sounds like a tactic. So how do you, how do you d- dig into a tactic like that? And begin to to say, well, what is the broader strategy that this fleet issue fits under? I sprung that one on you. Like yeah, that, we have not talked about that at all. <laughs> I have to think about that. Well, not to answer too quickly, but if you think about looking at one, you know, the SWOT analysis has four quadrants, right? So if you look at that one quadrant and say this is a weakness, and you address the weakness. There, there's a chance that that's going to sound a lot like a tactic. But if you look at that weakness and you pair it with an opportunity in the market, which is, you know, you look at vehicles nowadays and you say there, most of them are equipped with uh, automatic braking for rear end collisions. They're equipped with, you know, side, side swipe warnings that back up right. cameras. And you say, wow, we have a real opportunity to, to pair this weakness and address this weakness by looking at into the future and then the strategy becomes maybe you that's where you draw the strategy out of you know just thinking off the so, cuff so the strategy may be um in, instead of we need to upgrade our fleet we need to leverage our fleet which is a totally different question so that gets into not just having newer vehicles but what do we have on the vehicles maybe we'll look at the way the trucks are laid out and we look at the way inventory, if inventory stored, maybe inventory shouldn't be stored, or maybe it should, or uh, are, they, are they configured for a driver and a helper? And is that the best way to look at sending teams out on the road? Uh, how many box trucks do we have versus utility trailers versus vans versus, you know, where is the industry going? Is the, industry, is the equipment that we're taking to customers installing 
Uh, is it getting bigger? Is it getting smaller? Is it going to be drop shipped by Amazon in the next five years anyway? And we can put all these guys in Priuses and they're not going to be hauling air conditioners around, right? <laughs> I mean, so that that idea, of, uh, you know, just kind of thinking off the cuff and throwing ideas around, what you're saying is if you stand back and look at the entire SWOT analysis, you may go, hey, there's like four things in here that have to do with our fleet. One is that it's old. The other is that uh, that the industry is changing and we got trucks that are sitting in the yard because they're not relevant anymore. And the other is uh, almost nobody in our industry is actually buying their vehicles. It seems like they're all leasing them. And I'll give you one more, the threat that we live in a very litigious culture. So everybody is suing somebody else for personal damages right. in, in auto accidents. And so we want real-time recordings of the, the front windshield and the back bumper at all time, you know, to be able to protect ourselves from that and increase safety. And we want uh, technology that will limit cell phone use and texting when the vehicle's moving. I mean, so like all this stuff, we go, okay, this is a fleet, uh, leveraging our fleet strategy. And it's going to take us a couple years to fully flesh this out and have this area of the business really contribute to our overall success. And, but, but like what's, not just and, contribute to the vision like that's that ultimately has to be the litmus test for any strategy to kind of make it onto our one page plan that we start to execute with the team right does this is this in line with our vision yeah you know and it's funny when you say this i think about a few of our clients who are in these industries and my mind automatically went to when's the last time or when have you ever heard of a company that said we are going to be the safest company in terms of on the road, you will never find our drivers in an accident. We're, we're going to end company-wide accidents in the next you know, two to three years. And we're going to do everything to leverage our fleet to make that happen. Mm-hmm. That, that's where you start to get away from tactic and to broader company strategy. And we know we're not going to have no accidents in the next 90 days, probably the next, not the next yeah. year. And you and I sat in a meeting this week where the issue of, of new drivers was brought up and the statement was made around the table, we are not trainers. We are not going, that's not our job to train. And so now we have a policy decision that's being made, um, whereas that policy decision might be completely different if the strategy was more around uh, leveraging the fleet, like, like the hypothetical we've been talking about, where it might be like, we're absolutely going to train our drivers. How could we not train our drivers? And so we get into this, um, you know, the, there's always, I think, a perception, especially around small businesses, that all this talk about strategy and strategic planning and vision and priorities and tactics, like that's all, you know, what a, a bunch of ivory tower baloney. We just got to go out and make money and, and get the job done, right? But what we see over and over and over again is that if you do it well, and, and by well, what I mean most is if you do it pragmatically. Like if we do this in a way that it, it can be done by a business owner and their leadership team, uh, and it can be done in such a way that everybody has clarity about the, what the process looks like, what's expected of us at different times in the process, what's going to be expected of me on a weekly basis, then it really does begin to inform everything that happens in the business. There's not an area of the business that should be untouched by the vision and the strategy and the priorities that are being set up as part of this planning process. Yeah, that's well said. I, I think 
Well, I don't think anything else. That's well said. <laughs> All right. So one of the other things that uh, that may happen uh, when a new when a company says uh, so, let's say the business owner goes to uh, an industry conference, uh, picks up the latest book by the latest guru, comes back to the team and says, "We're uh, I have some news. Uh, I'm going to go away this weekend. I'm going to spend three days in a hotel, and when I come back on Monday morning, I'm going to have our new strategic plan." Is that something that you would advocate? No, please no. <laughs> if you, if you, I'm just going to say this, and we can edit it out if it's not true. But if you want to earn the distrust of all of your employees, or at least your key leaders in your organization, then as a business owner, yes, go away and go to a conference and get the next great strategy for two to three years. But if you would rather get the most out of your key leaders and you, your employees in your organization and cultivate trust, then please, please don't fall into this third pitfall that we're going to be talking yeah. about, which is planning in the dark. Yeah. So, and, and I would say that it's perfectly okay to go away to that industry conference and get a new vision for where you want this company. And that, I think that happens a lot. I mean, I think we, we sometimes, I know I personally kind of undervalue or underestimate, um, the importance of getting away out of out of the day-to-day business operation, get your head out of the weeds, go listen to some people talk about some farther-ranging aspects of your industry or leadership, um, spend some time around uh, fresh ideas from people you haven't met before in the breakout sessions and the lunches and the dinners and whatever. Um, and it can often be the case that you find yourself recharged, reinvigorated, with a new vision for the company. Now, if that happens every year, that's not a good thing, right? So <laughs> right. like every year, the team is bracing for you to come back from the big industry conference, you know, and find out what the new 20-year vision is uh, in the wake of the last 10 years of 20-year visions that haven't been pursued. That's probably not a good thing. But if it's if it's uh, something that you, you feel a lot of conviction about, like I'm reconnecting with the direction I originally wanted this to go, or it could be a realization that, um, you know, maybe, maybe I haven't had a vision because we have made so much progress in the 20 or the 30 years since I started this company. And I, I had kind of checked all the boxes, you know, it kind of got to the place where I was comfortable. And you and I know that one of the things that, uh, that causes companies to come seek us out and engage us is they just get tired of being comfortable. You know, they've been comfortable for a while. And then at some point, for some reason, whatever, there could be a lot of different things that spark it. They go, you know, I'm not comfortable anymore. And I either have a new vision or I want you guys to come alongside me and help me develop a new vision. Um, and, and that is, you know, there's definitely value, can be value in having somebody come alongside you, but it's definitely something that could happen in the dark. Like you might get that new vision literally in the dark, like wake up in the middle of the night and go, holy cow, this is where I need to go with the company. But probably at some point, uh, shortly thereafter, you need to bring that out into the light and engage the team in developing strategy and, and actually building the plan as opposed to doing it on your own. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think if you have a good team around you, they're going to draw more out of that. They're, they're going to take this, this well that is welling up inside of you and they're going to draw more out of that. And I, I think personally, I think that's why no individual, I, mean, I, I don't personally, I don't think God created us to go at it alone. He created us to be in community. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite word, by the way. <laughs> 
and, and really, when we start, your vision should you should set the vision. But when you flush, when you give that to a team and you flush that, help them, let them help you flush that out. Not setting it, but helping you flush it out. That's when you start to get really great strategies that that include everybody, and I think really benefits the business as a whole. Hi, this is Joey Brannon. I want to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. When we talk about um, bringing the last, the last area we'll talk about is not necessarily in the dark, but what we might call going it alone. So, um, you know, when a business owner comes back, says, I got this vision, um, I do want to, you know, we're all going to set aside a couple days and we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to share the vision with you. I'm going to talk about why it's important to me. I'm going to, you know, I've got my values. You, know, you and I would actually start with values and say so you got to have the values and you got to have them defined. But let's say that the owner's like, I got all that stuff because that's all kind of the owner's prerogative right there. Mm-hmm. And he says, we're going to take a couple days. I'm going to share this with you, and then we're going to put together a plan that's actually going to move us toward this vision. Um, what's, the, what's the problem with that? Well, why, is, why would we say take a step back and, and rethink this before you schedule the couple days? Well, to say it broadly, I think most business owners understand that everything in this world is fighting against their business. I mean, we see it constantly. How many times do you hear, uh, putting out a lot of fires today? Uh, the more fires, more constantly. fires. Constantly. And so I think the danger of, of going in with your team, as noble as it is, I think, and, and some businesses do this well, but if you go at it alone with the team, you don't have that support piece next alongside you to help you when things go off the rails. And, and that's why I say one of the pitfalls of, of going at it alone is it doesn't always result in, in catastrophe or, you know, lack of progress, but it may very well result in discouragement for your team, for you and your team. Yeah. You know, when we talk about, and this, this part of this is like going to sound blatantly self-serving, right? <laughs> because what essentially what we're advocating for is to bring somebody from the outside in alongside you. But there's there's some really practical reasons we advocate for that. Um, number one, like this is just the way we see the world working. Like a lot of the companies that would come to us, they have tried some form of or fashion of this in the past, and it hasn't worked, and that, now they're asking for help. And it's possible that we're walking into a landscape that does have some distrust in it, that does have some discouragement, that does have kind of a cynical attitude toward any of this talk of, okay, we're going we're gonna to grow the business and we're going to put together a plan and we're going to work on this as a team because there was a time when they tried to do that. It went off the rails and they weren't able to rally the, the troops and get it back on track. And I think the the reality that we try to drive home with a lot of our business owners, especially ones that are going through this for the first time, is that this is going to take dogged persistence. Um, 
it's when we say this all the time, it's not rocket science. Like what we're talking about doing is not rocket science, it, but it is a discipline and it does require uh, some discipline. So, you know, we don't, there are a lot of venues where we would say it would be foolish to try to play at the top of your game and do it on your own. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you were going to be, um, if you're going to be training, you know, for a sporting event and you want, let's see, you want to make the Olympic games and you're like, I got this. I don't need a coach. Like I don't need a team. I don't need a support crew. I don't need, I don't need an expert who's been there before. Yeah. Chances are you're not that you're not the one guy of the thousands of athletes who doesn't need a coach. Right. I mean, how many other athletes have coaches right. or, uh, you know, somebody who's a nutritional specialist who's coming alongside them and saying, yeah, if you really want to, you know, cut weight or you want to get build muscle, m- maybe change your diet in these areas. And it's not just your coach, it's your nutritional right. specialist or, yeah, and it's not just, you know, some people think that, well, that's just about the accountability. Like, we're all going to do better with accountability. I'm going to do better if I have a coach who's pushing me to, you know, get out of bed in the morning and make the workouts and stuff like that. And that definitely is a part of it, you know. But the thing that we talk about uh, quite a bit is that accountability is a voluntary act. Like, you have to agree uh, to let me hold you accountable. Otherwise, I'm going to try to hold you accountable and you can make up excuses, you can dodge, you can not show up, you can, there's all kinds of ways for you to dodge the accountability bullet if you haven't if you haven't signed up for it and said I want you to hold me accountable. So, yeah, accountability it, it's it's uh it's important, but I I hired a coach one time to help me with a very specific area of the business and um we had a call and he had given me some homework and he's and I hadn't done it. And he said, "What's it going to take for you to get this done?" And I said, "I guess I just need the accountability." And he goes, "No, you don't." He goes, why is why is me getting on you? Like you either want to do this or you don't. It's not my business. So you're either going to decide that you want to do it or you're not going to do it. Like me holding you accountable is not the answer. And I was like, holy crap, he's right. Like I, I either want to do this or I don't. And if I don't want to do it, I'm going to be put in a position where I'm making excuses. If I do want to do it, I'm going to decide not to do some other things to make sure that this gets done. And so accountability, that's kind of a rabbit trail. But, you know, I would not say you should bring somebody else in to hold you accountable. I don't think that that's the reason. To go back to the coaching analogy, I think a better perspective of it or a better piece of the analogy would be um, it's not that I'm going to get you out of bed in the morning. It's the fact that on this long journey we're going to take together, I know you're going to get injured. I know that something's going to – I know you're going to get the flu. I know you're going to pull a hamstring. I know you're going to – you're, you're going to suffer a loss in your family. Uh, there, there are going to be events that you can't control. Some you can, some you can't. But they're going to something, multiple things, multiple times are going to derail you. And you need somebody who's going to be able to help you get back on track. And there are times when, because we've been derailed, like we're literally incapable of getting ourselves back on track. We either can't, ha- we don't have the outside perspective to really understand what got us off track and, and what's necessary to get back in the game. Uh, or we're too discouraged to have the motivation to do it. Um, sometimes we may believe that there isn't a way to get back on track. And it takes somebody who's already seen a situation worse than ours, and we got them back to where they needed to be to actually educate us that well, we actually can do this. Um, and it might be easier than you think, or it might be, you know, it might be a lot harder than you imagine, but it can be done. And, uh, you know, when we do, when we do planning with these teams, uh, you and I pretty much know, well, what do we say? I mean, this is a, t- a quiz. What do we tell every single team 
that we start working with that within a year, there's this one thing is going to happen and we can, we can pretty much guarantee, we can't make a guarantee, but you and I have seen it happen 100 out of 100 times, 100% of the time this thing happens. Well, I think I'm going to pass this one. It's when we, we, I mean, we go into a team and invariably we see that one person does not want to get in line with the plan and never do we recommend that this person be terminated. A hundred percent of the time we see this individual raise their hand and self-select out. Right. And because they don't want, they don't want to submit to the plan. Right. And so we can go in with confidence and say, listen, Mr. Business Owner, Mrs. Business Owner, uh, look around the table at our next meeting because one of those people isn't going to be here in a year. And like, like you said, it's not because we're going to force them out. It's not because they can't cut it. It's because the environment that we're creating of accountability and intentionality, they just, it's, not, it's not a comfortable place for them. They've, they've been kind of uh, hiding in the shadows maybe or they've been... Um, maybe they're just not as motivated as they once were. Maybe maybe there's something that's already ex- pre-existing issue with another team member, and we're just by consequence of how we work together, uh, they're going to have to start working a lot more closely and depending on these people a lot more. And they're like, I don't want to do that. I don't like that person. I'm out of here. So that's one example where you and I know within the first year we're going to face a pretty big shakeup on the leadership team, right? And... Uh, what happens if that shakeup is like the person who was primarily responsible for leading the charge in a, in a particular strategy? You know, like if you got a sales strategy, it's this primarily around maybe a strategy. Is, we've had this strategy on different teams before of develop a professional sales force. That's been the strategy. The team said for the next two to three years, that's what we need to be focused on. And people will go, well, how does that involve customer service? And how does that involve operations? And how does that involve accounting? And it absolutely does, because if we're going to have a professional sales force and we don't have a great commission structure because we don't understand the costs and the incentives uh, that would be generated by changes in compensation, then we're not going to be as effective as we could be otherwise. So accounting's going to have to weigh in. Finance's going to have to weigh in. Marketing's yep. going to have to get there. If we can't you know, gather the leads, if we can't get the answer to the phone calls that actually come into our business, right. we're not going to be able to give them over to right. the, the sales personnel. Like, to- what, is, what role does IT play in developing a professional sales force? And then you and I sit around the table and go, do we know how many of our phone calls are actually getting answered? Like, well, actually, Bob probably knows that. He runs the server, right? And it's like, well, absolutely. Every So if we get all those heads around the table, you can start to see how like, we have incredible horsepower that can somewhat seem disconnected interdisciplinary-wise, but is actually necessary if we're going to achieve the thing. So if we have a key player at the table who's, who's kind of critical for this, and that, be, that is the person who self-selects out, and the team goes, holy crap, what are we going to do now? Like, are we done? Like, do we have to redo the pl-? And you and I come along and say, like, listen, this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Actually, Devin and I had a little side bet going, and I owe him a beer later today because that, <laughs> that's the person he picked, right? That we, he knew there was something he sensed early in the engagement where we, we kind of felt like this person wasn't going to last. And we knew when we were doing the planning, we knew when a big piece of the heavy lifting, for maybe for this quarter or for this year related to that strategy, was going to land on this person's shoulders, we pretty much knew that this was going to happen, and here's what we're going to do. 
Mm. Right? And so that's one example. Uh, other things that happen uh, is just not even anything as dramatic. It could just be the case that, um, like, one of the things that we ask people to do is come to their weekly operations meeting with their particular piece of the scorecard, right? So this is a number uh, that relates to their area of operations that allows us to keep a finger on the pulse of what's happening in the business. And how successful, what percentage of the time do you think uh, that first week everybody's supposed to show up with their number, do they actually show up with their number? Everybody? Yeah. Oh, 0%. 0% of the time. Yeah. Uh, how many people show up with the number, say, two months in? Eh, I'd say 50%. Maybe 50%, right? You're being so, generous. So if, if a business owner has read, let's say we wrote a book, right, that, that explained how to do everything that we do, and a business owner picked up that book, and they literally know how to develop vision, they know how to develop strategy, they know how to... Uh, put together scorecards, and they know what should go on the scorecards, and they know how to run a meeting, and they follow everything in the book, and they get six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks in, and people still aren't showing up with their numbers. What is the likelihood that business owner is going to stay engaged, is going to stay enthusiastic about the process, and is going to see at home for the 12 or 13 or 14 weeks that you and I know from experience is going to be required to to, to get traction and to start having things uh, come together as expected. Like it's, it's almost, it's nearly impossible to expect somebody to bang their head against the wall for that long. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at it and it's not just in business either. You see, I mean, how many people have started a workout and said, all right, yeah, new year's, new year's resolution. All right. I'm going to work out this year and I'm going to, I'm going to go work out. Mm -hmm. And maybe they even go online and they look at a workout, look up a workout plan and they get nutritional plans so that they can start doing eating right. And after three or four months or, you know, let's not say three months after four to eight weeks, they get on the scale and they say, no change. Yeah. I mean, we, we've all experienced that kind of discouragement and on our own, we're not good at keep continuing on, you know, on with the mantle. We, we oftentimes lay it down, chalk it up to, you know, hopeful aspirations, but yeah, I was unrealistic. Yeah. This isn't going to happen. Maybe I'll try again next year. Right. And, and it would, the ultimate fallback is eh, things aren't so bad. You know, we're still, we're still growing. albeit at a snail's pace, but we we're still doing okay. Yeah. And, and we would, I think you and I both agree, like that is the, that's the real danger here of um, maybe having a false start uh, because you're doing it alone. You and I know it's going to go off the rails. Uh, the business owner and the leadership team have the best of intentions. They're, they're convinced and they're excited. And we, we both know, like leaving that planning meeting at the, at the beginning of the year, the end of the year, like getting the, the meeting where we are recommitting to our strategies or we're developing new strategies and we're coming up with goals for the year and priorities for the next 90 days. Like everybody leaves that meeting and they might be exhausted, but emotionally they're at a high point like mm -hmm. because they see the blue sky, they see everything that's possible. They're excited about where the company's going and the vision. And that euphoria lasts about Eight hours? Yeah, until they have to show up to work the next <laughs> day and start executing. Yeah. And you know they've been out of the office yesterday, and they got 200 emails and five customers to call and three employees who didn't show up for work. And then it's like, you know, the, the plan kind of goes out the window. Mm. Uh, so we know that it's going to be a rough road. 
um, just don't try to go it alone. Like it, it's almost, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure and uh, it's not something we would advocate. So just to recap, um, one of our big encouragements to companies would be to make sure that you're not, you're not trying to bite off more than you can chew. Like select one strategy. One is enough. But to balance that, make sure that that's something that you really can sink your teeth in for two or three years. And then when you start talking about actually doing the planning, the owner needs to come up with the vision. It has to belong to the owner, mm-hmm. as do the values. But when it comes to actually developing it, the team really needs to be a part of it. And if you don't bring somebody in from the outside who's been there, done that, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. So that said, you know, let's look at 2020 and have that clear vision for, for what it looks like. And, and knowing that these pitfalls exist, hopefully you, you learn from this and don't fall into them. Yeah. You got your playbook for going into uh, the last half or last part of this year. Mm. All right. Thanks. We'll see you next week.